Well, good morning. Thank you, worship team. Thank you for joining us online as well this morning. Take your Bibles and turn again with me this week to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3 as we continue our study through this important Old Testament book, Ecclesiastes 3. I think for many people this year, Thanksgiving was maybe a bit different. Uh, Many perhaps had a little bit smaller group, and it's become almost cliche to talk about how different this year is. In reality, life has always had a lot of twists and turns, hasn't it? Uh, The longer you've lived, the more you realize that what you might have expected life would be like when you were, let's say, 20, um, it hasn't all turned out that way. Did we really expect to live unsurprised? Solomon uh, writes under God's inspiration almost 3,000 years ago this book, Ecclesiastes. Last week we uh, looked a little bit at the background and, and we really, it makes sense that he wrote this at the end of his life as a repentant man after having uh, flourished and fallen and uh, then returns to his spiritual roots. And, and what he does in these opening verses, the first eight verses, is talk about how there is a time for everything. And you may even be familiar, uh, maybe through the song that uh, Pastor Nate referenced before, or you may, some of these words may be familiar to you to read, there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven, a time for this and a time for that. As we read this, I believe what God is saying is that God's plan has encompassed everything that we experience in life. God's plan has encompassed everything that we experience this season as well. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love. And a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. As, as we go through, there's, there's, this is 14 pairs of contrasting experiences. About half of them you would not choose. Who wants to weep? Who wants to give up? Who wants to go to war? We go to the scripture, however, not to support our perspective of life, but we always go to scripture to get God's perspective, and his point is that all these things happen in life. Sometimes people have read this passage as if it's saying, well, there's a time when you should do this and a time when you should do that. I don't think this is about shoulds at all. These are simply the things that happen. Solomon is defining reality. 
There's a time where this has happened, and this has happened, and this has happened, and this has happened. And it's all part of this mosaic, and God's plan actually encompasses all those things, the desirable and the undesirable. For some hope, jump ahead to verse, the first line of verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. That's where he's going with this. So hang on to that as we, as we think through some of these contrasting experiences. And if you, if you identify a little bit more with the negative half of these pairs, know that, that uh, it's all under God's control and he's actually wanting to do something beautiful with those experiences. Now, as we, as we look through this, you'll, you may have noticed if you were following along in, in your scriptures that uh, some of them are translated a little bit different than maybe what I read. Um, it's a 3,000-year-old inspired Hebrew document translated, and so we're going to do our best to try to understand what exactly God was inspiring Solomon to say. The first one is rather basic, a time to be born and a time to die. Of course, we've experienced that just in our own church family this past week. A time to be born, a time to die. Hospitals are mostly associated with illness and death, but Hospitals are also where most babies are born. And if you've been in the hospital or maybe visiting someone in the hospital, you, you may have experienced this where a lot of hospitals do this, where there is a, a tone or a tune that goes to the whole hospital every time a baby is born in the hospital. It's, sometimes it's, I've heard it as chimes or a little line from Brahms' lullaby where it injects some hope into a, a, a place where many people are suffering and you realize, wait, there's new life. There's time to bo- be born and a time to die. Psalm 139 is a, a, a wonderful classic passage that shows God encompassing everything from start to finish of our life here on earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. This is a great uh, passage to describe the, the reality of life from conception onward. My eye, your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So he had it all planned. How precious toward me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. It, it assures us that it assures me that, that God already knows both dates on my grave marker. He knows those dates. And he doesn't, this, this, this is not a morbid kind of a thing, but rather he thinks about that lifespan of mine and yours in a precious way. His, his thoughts are, are good and positive, beautiful, as he thinks about our lifespan. So rest in God's full knowledge and his careful, loving care for you throughout life. He goes from the profundity of birth and death to now some of the more common stuff of life. A time to plant and a time to uproot, or some of you have the word pluck, which I think is a little bit better. Uh, This is one of several agrarian, agricultural-type illustrations because most people were farmers, as Solomon was writing in that day and age. And it probably refers to the fact that the farmer has a time where he puts the seed in the ground, and then there's a time when you go back to pluck or or pick the grain or the fruit uh, that has been sown. So it's really speaking, it seems, that there are seasons of investment and reward. And as we invest, we often don't know exactly how that will turn out. My brother plants uh, corn and soybeans in the spring, late spring, and harvests them in the fall. 
He sows wheat in the fall and goes over winter, and next summer he harvests the, the wheat. Uh, all the expenses of a crop are up front. You have the seed and the fertilizer and the weed control and the cultivating and, and the work and the fuel bill. You have all that stuff up front, and you still have gotten nothing from it. You invest all of that anticipating harvest, trusting there will be a harvest. And that, that's what so much of our life is. We're investing in something. We invest in school, hoping perhaps for a better uh, career path, or we invest in a business, hoping for a successful uh, profit and livelihood. You invest in uh, your IRA to look forward to a, a retirement uh, and invest in exercise looking for better health. All these different investments expecting reward, but do we trust God with the outcomes? Because when you're investing, you don't know. That's the point. You don't know. You're, you are risking something, but God's plan encompasses everything. So do we trust God with the things that fail and the things that succeed? There's a time to kill and a time to heal, verse 3. That's kind of bothersome. Um, it's not telling us, of course, to kill. But this word kill is put to death. It can refer to murder. It can refer to uh, capital punishment, even killing animals. And so it's not speaking of the rightness or wrongness of killing, but that killing happens. There are tragedies, and, and God in his sovereignty does not stop all the bullets of the criminals. And yet in spite of tragedies, God heals. So he's seeing these seasons of life where, where God sees us through even those tragic times. A time to, next one is a time to tear down and a time to build. He uh, seems to refer to a, the cycle of productivity that you have to, kind of like the investment thing, but you have to tear something down often to rebuild something. I think it's in a day where uh, they were doing more uh, repurposing and reclaiming than, than even we do today as kind of, a, kind of a fad thing, but most of our building projects are, are with, with new materials, but it hasn't always been that way. Uh, on, our, on our family farm in Kansas, there's a, there's a granary that my dad and his dad built during World War II. And they, they bought a building, his dad bought a building somewhere else. They dismantled the entire building, brought it all over to our farm, and built the granary. And because of the iron shortage during the war, my dad says he, he, he kept all of the nails, straightened out all the nails. That entire granary is built with reclaimed, straightened nails and still standing. It's, it's just the way things were done to... to take something apart to build something new. And so many times, that is the way life looks for us. And, and so we see something torn down, and it seems maybe disastrous even. You've, I, I bet there were a lot, of, there's a lot of career stories right here or, or where you're sitting there that, that where you, you lost a job, disappointingly so, fired or cut backs or whatever it was, and yet if it wasn't for that, you could not have gone a different path, and now this happened, and... Do we trust God with the tearing down and the, and the rebuilding and the twists and the turns and, and that God has his, his finger on the override button? Do we trust him with that? Verse 4 gets us to the emotional reactions that we have to life. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to, to dance. Uh, do we trust God with 
where our emotions go with the stuff that happens. An acquaintance of mine from high school, actually one of my sister's good friends, has an excellent blog. Her name is Sylvia, and the blog is When the House is Quiet. I noticed this past week she, she reprinted one from her, her daughter writing as a guest uh, contributor. Her daughter, uh, at the age of 26, uh, married three children, uh, experienced a, a tumor on her brain stem that within a month had her debilitated to essentially a quadriplegic. And, and her daughter writes about, in everything, give thanks. And, and somehow it just has that particular power of accepting God's hand and seeing God's goodness. Her title was, My Life Has Not Turned Out the Way I Expected. And I think we could all say that. And so she writes from a wheelchair, and we understand there's a time to mourn, there's a time to dance, and, and Solomon is facing all of this reality. He's, he's defining reality for us and says there are deep lows and there are highs. And the point is that even though there are these lows, we need to enjoy everything that God gives us that is enjoyable, if you will. So don't feel guilty rejoicing. Don't feel guilty uh, dancing. There, there will be certain people that, that bring joy to your life and you can rejoice that there are certain troubles you have not known. And don't feel guilty that you don't have somebody else's troubles. It's all part of that fabric that God is, is weaving. Verse 5 has more paradoxes. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. Sometimes you want stones and sometimes you don't want them. You want to get rid of them. Israel especially is a very rocky soil. Whenever you farm, you have to pick up the rocks. We did some of that in Kansas. I see, I've I noticed that uh, here in Wisconsin, there's a lot of uh, stone, you see so occasionally stone piles, you know, alongside the, the, the hedge on the edge of the field. And uh, there was a time about 20 years ago when uh, we were developing a, a berm in our backyard to make a, a flower garden. And uh, kind of on a slope, and we had the idea that it'd be nice to have kind of like a rock wall. And I remembered, I remembered a, a pile of stones I saw uh, not far off the highway, close to Random Lake. I thought, I know how those stones got there. They didn't grow there, you know. So I, I knocked on the farmer's door and asked, could I buy some stones? And he said, no, but you can take them. <laughs> because he was in the getting rid of stones mode, and I was in the gathering stones, and they're still uh, creating beauty for us at our place. Life is filled with paradoxes and sometimes we don't know if the stones are good or bad. We, um, we would never ask for our child to like, experience an injury that takes away a whole season of their favorite sport, but probably some of you experienced that, right? And yet, do we want to shield our child from every disappointment in life? And we're torn going, yeah, I do. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Because we know that that is part of the fabric of life that we all need to become accustomed to. A time to embrace and to refrain from embracing. I've concluded this is a prophecy about social distancing from 3,000 years ago. No, seriously, there, if we have to refrain, it's okay. It's a season. It's a season. 
But the word embrace here is, is, a, is a term not so much of a, of a lover's embrace. It's a, it's a greeting. It's a, it's a greeting someone hello, and it's an it's a, it's a embrace that says, I won't see you for a while. So it's the hellos and the goodbyes, I think, that he has in mind. And don't we have such a series of people that go through our life, and, and you realize we think back sometimes some of the good friends we had in another place, another era, and, and, and some we've completely lost touch with. Maybe they're a Facebook friend, I don't know, but others are, are lifelong and New people come into our life. Do we trust God with the people who are now out of our life? Do we trust God with the people he has brought into our life? The hellos and the goodbyes. Verse 6. Mine says a time to search and a time to give up. Or you may have gain and lose. Uh, we, we see a lot of parallels here. We've got this, this getting and giving up kind of a thing. And there are certain things that we persist in. And other times we are forced to give up. It's taken out of our hands and we, we, we cannot persist. It's over. You might be speaking of business enterprises. You might be thinking of uh, relationships. Ever tried to befriend someone that didn't want to be your friend? Or maybe think back to high school, someone you wanted to date and they didn't reciprocate. Then you go to your 25th anniversary of your reunion at your school and you go, kind of glad that didn't work out. Do you trust God with the things you've had to give up on? Some grand idea. This was going to be really amazing. And it dissolved. The time to, to gain, to lose, search, give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. Biblical basis for rummage sales, right? We have many useless things, and we, so many, you know, in our society at least, we've got to get rid of this, got to get rid of this, and then yet there are some things to keep. And so, uh, you know, absolute minimalism may not be the answer. By the way, I do use some of my scrap lumber, I just want you to know. Uh, just a little week ago, we were doing something, and uh, I found this long, ugly two-by-four I'd kept for, I figured, I figured it'd be about 25 years since I last used it, and I, I want you to know I used it but I probably should have thrown it away 25 years ago. Time for tearing and mending. Hmm. So many times I've seen Priscilla, if she's at the sewing machine and, ah, oh, did that wrong, or pulls apart and does it again, or she's knitting something, and I think it's looking fine, and she goes, oh, this isn't right. And she takes the whole thing apart. Anybody does? I don't know. I don't understand that. I wouldn't want to start over, but she does. This isn't us so much doing this, but God does that. There's a time when he tears apart and a time where he mends. And, and yeah, probably sometimes it's us who do the tearing and us who do the, the, the mending and putting back together. And, and so again, the, the, the twists and turns. I, I, again, I don't think that Solomon is telling us how to live. He's not prescribing this. He's describing it and saying, this is the kind of things that either from our decisions or God decisions... Things are taken apart. Things are put back together. And some things we regret because we did have control, but now we're on the other side of the decision, and there's nothing you can do to undo that. Can, can we accept God's sovereignty that his plan encompasses all these? Can you trust God with your mistakes? Can you trust God with the times you thought God made a mistake? Can you trust God that there's a season for everything?
time to be silent and a time to speak. And uh, I, I think many times we, or, or most of the times, we, we think, oh, I wish we wouldn't have said anything. And we're probably right, but there's also the other kind where we should have said something. And you know, you can second guess that forever. And I should have said something. I didn't say anything. I shouldn't have said that. Can we trust God that sometimes we spoke up when we shouldn't have and other times we should have and we didn't? Do we, spot, do, do, do we say something to the boss that might jeopardize our job or will improve things? Or the employee, could we lose them? Do we say something to our spouse, something to bring up? Do we say this to our adult kids? Should we? And we, we can live in that, and yet we, do, we, do we have this undergirding trust that we seek God's wisdom and trust him? Verse 8 is tough many times to read. A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. We understand a time to love. We, the Bible tells us to do that all the time. A time to hate, it's not telling us to hate. It's telling us sometimes we do. There are times and there, there are people in our life that they have done something so repulsive or they are doing something so repulsive that that hate is bubbling up and it's it's there let's let's accept that reality and deal with it nor is this prescribing war but it's telling us that sometimes war happens maybe that's the last one here because if there's anything that the typical citizen feels is not under their control it's whether we're at war or peace i mean someone out there is making all those those decisions, and yet we see both the tragedy of war because someone's, someone's father, brother, sister, child dies, and yet sometimes we see the freedoms that are accomplished by wars, and we go, God, wow. God's plan encompasses everything. We don't have to like every piece. We have to accept every piece. Verses 9 through 11 move on to a powerful lesson. Got all these quandaries, all these tensions, all the stuff that's happened, and we discover that God is doing something beautiful for certain people who are defined by a certain phrase. Look for it. What does the worker gain from his toil? That's actually a repeat of chapter 1, verse 3. The idea is uh, you can't... You can't change anything by your toil, so nothing really. Verse 10, I have seen the burden God has laid on men. These, these things we've discussed, there's a lot of burdens. But now refresh your heart with this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Ah, maybe not everybody sees the beautiful thing God is doing, but some can. If you have eternity in your heart. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. In other words, even if you understand the beauty of what God is doing, even if you have an eternal perspective and we want to talk about that, you still won't understand everything. So there's a point at which you, you leave what's happening, what has happened, and you focus on what's beautiful and what's eternal. 
everything beautiful? Everything. So he's listed all kinds of things that don't sound beautiful at all and says that everything is beautiful in its time. This messy, mixed-up journey. It's like if you, if you picture yourself on a, on a long trip and you've got good things and bad things and you've got some beautiful skies and you've got some storms and you've got some ditches and you've got some freeways. Or How many of you have gone on vacation and, and you end up with a flat tire or an accident or a tow and you, you're set back, you lose a day, you lose the whole vacation? You know, we, we've all experienced some of those things, but... but this is picturing it as, as then arriving at the destination, and whether your, your favorite destination is a destination is a, a mountain resort or a tropical beach, you know, you get there and it's it's amazing, it's beautiful. It's even better than the brochures. And so you sit there and you you begin from looking from that perspective and saying that was that was all worth it because I see these beautiful valleys and you walk the bubbling brook and you have this great experience, or if your thing is the the white sand and the, and the cool breeze. You take it all in and say, this really was beautiful. And I see this. God makes everything beautiful in its time. We don't see it all. We're just getting glimpses. So, so don't expect in this lifespan that you will see how he makes everything beautiful in this time. You're just going to see glimpses and also realize that not everybody sees it. But you can. You and I can. Certain people, the ones with eternity in their hearts, there's a whole world of lost people who do not understand or seek to accept the sovereignty of God for whom indeed life is like Solomon described in chapters 1 and 2, meaningless. Um, Emptiness. Without God, wealth, education, pleasure, entertainment, accomplishments, all these things in chapters 1 and 2, all of them are empty, and you just try to stuff your life with them knowing you're going to lose it all and die. How depressing is that? There's nothing beautiful about that, and that is not God's plan for us. His plan is that we ride the roller coaster ups and downs and, and yet see the beautiful thing he is doing. The word beautiful is, is this, it's really more about attractive, beautiful, describing beautiful people. God's making this messy, complex, complicated, contradictory life into something beautiful. And so he's described it as it is, raw, realistic. And then he says, God is able to do something beautiful with all of that. So we need to start focusing on seeing all things in light of eternity. If you have a 12-inch ruler, you're confined to that 12 inches. And our life is like that 12-inch ruler. The time to be born, the time to die. That's your ruler. But our life is more than that, isn't it? There is a tape measure that begins at the end of that one, and it is endlessly circling the earth. And the only way we will be able to navigate what happens in the 12-inch ruler is if we see the 12 inches in light of eternity. And that's what Solomon is calling us to. 
So there are, there are disappointments and hurts and wheelchairs and funerals. God is not absent. And neither is life to be simply endured, but enjoyed when we have eternity in our hearts. The last line of verse 11 says, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We don't have to. We, we cannot know the plan. We know the planner. That's what makes the difference. So instead of just enduring, Solomon goes back to where he concluded that first cycle at the end of chapter 2, verse 12. Chapter 3, verse 12. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. Again, this is not a, a, a downer kind of a statement saying, well, there's nothing better. It's actually saying there is nothing better in this 12-inch ruler of our life than to actually enjoy it, be happy, and do good. Contribute to the goodness. Contribute to the joy. So don't, don't just be passive watching this stuff happen. Be happy and do good. And don't stifle your joy. Eat, drink, find satisfaction. Did you, did you experience that Thursday? Eating, drinking, and finding satisfaction. We ate about 2 o'clock. Like by 3.30, I was napping. No alarm. Get up and hold grandbabies and take the older ones out. And we light the Christmas lights outside for the first time. And we're supposed to, we're supposed to enjoy Everything that God puts in our life can be enjoyed when we understand he's making even the, the dark things beautiful. This is a gift of God. Don't stop. Don't. Can you imagine at Christmas time getting a gift and not saying thank you? I mean, we prompt, we poke our kids. What do you say to grandma? Come on. Say thank you. It's a gift of God. So, so don't, don't, don't let the, the downsides of this life, keep you from being grateful, enjoying the gifts that God has given you. Because God's put eternity in your hearts. And when you've settled eternity, now you can truly enjoy what God gave you to enjoy. And our enjoyment is not only the thought of heaven. Our enjoyment is whatever he has given us in this piece of life as well, last week, or a couple weeks ago, as we were finishing up our series of prophecy and talking about heaven, we put up this graphic. I, mean, it, it was, I was focusing on eternal rewards. Uh, so we were focusing on the eternal side of it. Let's, let's take a look at this again and just think of it a little bit more uh, as we think of the my life here. So we have a time to be born, a time to die. So that's our life here now. And we have talked about, and we will again today, talk about there's a crucial point at which everything can change in your life, and that is when you believe in Jesus and are eternally saved from your sin. Now that opens up this window of having eternity in your hearts. It affects everything that we're supposed to do now in this life, and what has Solomon just told us we should do? 
We should, we're going to live forever, but we should be happy. We should do good. We should eat, drink, find satisfaction, and we should see everything as a gift from God. That's having eternity in your hearts because we know this life is not all there is. But rather, we have eternity ahead and everything will be beautiful in its time. Ha- knowing eternity is set gives us the freedom to enjoy friends, grandchildren, health, activity. A big dollop of whipped cream on your pumpkin pie gives us the opportunity to say, no, this is good. This is God's gift to me. God has scheduled everything well. We don't have to have the fear that the unbelieving world does now or ever. We don't have to think of life as meaningless like they do where without, eter- without eternity in view, there's like this I'm going to just get older and weaker and limited, and then I die. That is, that is depressing. But with eternity in view, now there is hope. And it changes then the focus of our life now. Verse 14, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him or worship him. When it says everything will endure forever, I believe he's talking about the plan he has individually or for the world. But, so nothing, you can't add anything to the plan. You can't take anything from the, you can't. God's in charge of the plan. And how, how are mere men and women supposed to respond to a God who is so vast, so amazing, and yet so good that he can make everything beautiful out of everything that we have seen or know, how should we respond? He did it so the men will revere him. You, you cannot grapple with the sovereignty of God through all the seasons of life without going, God, I'm glad I'm not in charge and I worship you that you are. There's a sobering aspect to this worship, and that is that while on one hand we know that, or begin to accept that God is in charge, God has control, does that mean that we're passive? Verse 15, whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before. So there's these cycles of life. And God will call the past into account. Now, I know some of the translations have about things being driven away, but I think this is, this is really what he's saying, that there is an accountability for what is past. So, so, so as we picture ourselves at the end of our ruler, okay, time to be born, time to die. What we do during the ruler, we're held accountable for So on the one hand, we see God has complete sovereign control over everything. On the other hand, we see that we are accountable for our decisions. Now, uh, I'm not going to be able to solve the enigma of uh, the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, but they're both true. We are responsible for our peace. We are responsible for our decisions, and they matter. The biggest decision that anyone will ever make 
is whether you will have eternity in your hearts. And will you see God in his plan this way? And it goes to the uh, core issue of the scriptures, which is the good news or the gospel. Uh, if If you fear death, you can never enjoy life fully. And so I want to talk to anybody that has a fear of, of death and what happens after death. It could be that you've just recently be, uh, participated with us as a church. Maybe you've been watching online for some weeks. And this thought of the reality of eternity is something you've been grappling with. God makes everything beautiful in its time for those who have the confidence about eternity. And God didn't leave that out. That is the central message of his word. How can we know for sure we will be with him forever? And it will transform eternity, but it will transform everything else on this 12-inch ruler of our, of our lives. So I just want to share the good news about how you can have this forever relationship uh, with God. I want to share just uh, really just two verses but they're packed with the core truths that we need to know. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, and that's you. You can always, when it says the world, it's, take it personally, fill in your name. God so loved you, that he gave his one and only son. That's Jesus. So, so you are in this verse, Jesus is in this verse. He gave his only son, and that refers to his death on the cross. That whoever believes in him, shall not perish, that's hell, but have eternal life, that's heaven with Christ. So, so think carefully through this. God gave his only son, Jesus, for you. And so when we, we see that phrase, he is referring to the cross. So while this, this verse is the gospel, this is the good news, you see that embedded in the good news is the is the necessity of death. The reason there is death, the reason Jesus had to come and die for our sins, die is because of our sins. So, so our sin is the reason Jesus came. We're approaching the Christmas season and, and we celebrate his arrival at earth, but we know he came for a purpose and that was to become the man, the God-man who on the cross would die in our place. That's the core of the good news, that he paid for our sin on the cross. It also presents us with a decision because whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So this is the big decision. This is what changes everything. This is what gives you eternity in your hearts. This is what makes everything beautiful in its time. Have you believed in Christ? Put your faith in Christ. Two verses later, says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe has been condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. What, do you see a key phrase? Whoever believes in him has eternal life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned for their sin. There is no better news than to know that we will have eternal life. And the reason we can have eternal life is because our sin was paid for by Jesus Christ. We better know what it means to believe in Christ. 
we often say we believe in something. We believe in, I believe in you. I believe this will happen. I believe we'll get through the pandemic. I believe all kinds of things that we really don't know too much about. That's not what the Bible means when it says to believe in Christ. He's not a maybe. He's not a hope. He's not a wish. To believe in Christ, the term means to put your trust in. What are you depending on? What are you depending on for eternal life? I'm going to grab a chair. As an illustration, many people have, seen, have known about the cross for a long time, and they see, the, they see the cross, and they say, oh, I believe Jesus died for my sin. But they look at it like from this far away, and they, are they believing in Christ? They believe that Christ died for sin. But they've never done this. They've never put their faith in Christ. And so they're over here, and they say, I believe Jesus died for my sin. But what are they trusting in? That's what the Bible's, that's what that term, eternal life, or believe, is all about. What are they trusting in? They're trusting in, they're trusting in good works. They're trusting in, in baptism. They're trusting in being a good person. They've, uh, they've uh, given money to, to people in need. And so really they're trusting in themselves. And what God's word is saying is, you, the only way you're going to have eternal life is if you put your trust in Christ. So the question is, what are you trusting in? And I would just invite you this morning, whether you're watching online or you're in the room here, that if you've never put your faith in Christ, to make that decision right now where you are. And so I'm just going to ask that we could just uh, bow our heads and, and pray together. Um, I'm going to supply for you a few words. If, if this is the desire of your heart, then, then pray this as your response to what God has done for you by sending Christ to pay for your sin. Something like this. Dear Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize that your son, Jesus, was the sacrifice paying for my sin. I am now putting my faith in Jesus Christ who died for my sin and rose again. As I put my trust in you for eternal life, I thank you for fulfilling your promise and giving me eternal life. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer, I would uh, welcome you into the family of God. If that has been your heart's uh, expression to God, putting your faith in what he did for you through Jesus, you are now a part of the family of God. And I would just invite you to uh, contact uh, myself or the, someone here on the church staff or maybe somebody you know here at, in the church family. And we'd love to help you grow in your, your, your faith in Christ, to understand and grow, because like, like every birth, there has to be growth, and so you want to grow. But, but at this moment, if you've put your faith in Christ, you have eternal life, and I welcome you to the family of God. We're going to pray together as we close this segment, and the uh, worship team will, will come and join us, and uh, uh, we'll conclude our service. Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful today for the way you have devised a plan where we would need you so deeply and desperately that apart from you, we would have no meaning in life. Apart from you, there would no, be no lasting joy in life. But apart from you, we could not even have any hope beyond the grave. 
Thank you that you've crafted, planned everything in our life. Thank you that you have all things under control. But do we thank you especially today for Jesus Christ, the one who came, died, paid the full promise, uh, payment for our sin and declared it to be finished and then rose again, proving his victory over death for us on our behalf. So we rejoice in the security of our eternity and we rejoice in your plan for this life that we might enjoy you and then enjoy you forever. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.